and welcome to Property Matters, supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. And you can find our weekly property show live every Sunday on propertymatterstv.co.uk or by searching Property Matters TV in YouTube or Facebook. And if you're watching on our website, we'd love you to hit the Google review button on our homepage and leave us a lovely review. Uh, whenever or wherever you're watching us on the show, please get involved, put some comments in the comments section to the stories that we have each week. And if you'd like to email us, the address is hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. We're also available as a podcast every Monday following the Sunday broadcast on wherever you get your favourite platform. Sorry, you go and get your podcasts from, uh, from those ones that are on the screen there now, if you know what those logos mean, which is more than Joe and I do. Now, let's take a look at the property news this week with Joe Joshi. Morning, Joe. Yes, good morning. Good morning, everybody, to um, those that are listening to us on those buttons that we don't know what we're talking about. And uh, also also our viewers who are always here like us on a Sunday morning, um, always are happy to talk about property matters and, and all the things that relate to property. Of course, you know, we can't um, go without mentioning the C word. The C word is here. Long time thought about, discussed talked about i mean the shoppers always start way back in september or earlier or early august i think about the c word but it's christmas week um and um uh, you know the chancellor and the bank of england have got some amazing gifts up for us all the time <laughs> absolutely and it's probably worth mentioning that we have a show on christmas day as well as new year's day this year so we're very honored to have such celebrations on the day of property matters so let's just take a look at the first story of the day uh, first time buyers and home movers are increasingly extended their mortgage terms joe uh, to 35 or even 40 years in order to lower their payments but brokers warn this should only be considered as a last resort or indeed a short-term plan i guess I think about the fact that, yes, all right, I could extend my mortgage, but never thought about perhaps if I've been better times, bringing the, the term shorter, paying it off quicker. But I suppose that does make a lot of financial sense, doesn't it? Yes, I think it's, there's a, a quite a varied view on this. Um, I suppose the younger you are, then the longer the term, the better, because it allows you to um, spread the cost over a long, much, much longer period. And um, also means that you 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 can budget uh, a little bit better across the board. Obviously, the older you are, um, the longer the term. Uh, it's not particularly practical. Um, so therefore, um, you've got to consider a short term. The only problem with short term, the long term, not that I'm a mortgage broker or a financial consultant, is the amount of payments that you're going to make. So the short term means it's high payments, um, and that could put a lot of strain on your uh, income and, and also your outgoings especially with the current situation that we have with um, the cost of living that is is just sort of fast looming everywhere and in, in every possible way. So, yeah, I mean, there is a variety of it. Interestingly enough, but going back, winding back the, ta uh, the tape for uh, 40 plus years, um, 30 and, and 35 and 40 years were just not even a discussion as a mortgage. Um, we only had maximum of 25 years. And if you, you know, if you did 20, you were absolutely the ding-dongs because you must have been really well off and, and you could afford to pay it off um, in a shorter space of time. Um, and 25 years was, is definitely the only number that actually um, was, was available. So it just goes to show how things have changed uh, dramatically. Um, and maybe if that was a 40-year payment, I'd probably still be paying them off, um, as, as, so, as so to speak, because, you know, 40 years on, 
you'd be still sort of coming to the end of that 40 year period. But um, certainly now the way things are, I think you find that um, a lot of people are finding it difficult to keep the payments. We still want to be home owners, Paul. Um, and, mm. and that's something that just doesn't go away. So if it means that you've got to take a payment over a longer period and become a home owner, then that's the route that they're taking. Yeah, I think people are assuming, of course, that there's going to be such growth in the property value over the period of the term of the mortgage. Uh, and they no longer see it that it's a it's a contract that you're going to have to complete and then eventually fully own the project. It's a bit like owning a car these days. You know, the, there was the idea that you took a bank loan and you got yourself a car and after five years you own the car. Um, uh, but now people seem to want to pay a, a monthly amount and, and, and lease the car. And it's similar in a way with a home. And one wonders why there isn't that sort of contract available for for people buying property. Although I suppose you could call that renting. Well, but you there never is own the property then, do you? That's the thing. Yeah, you don't. On the rental side, you're not going to end up owning the property. Um, and even even the um, contracts they have with the motor cars doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually going to end up owning the car. What it just just generally means is that uh, um, you know you're you're spreading your costs. The owner of this ownership of the car still remains very cunning. Actually, still remains the ownership of the dealer that you bought the car from or the mm. finance company that's going to do it. Um, and but you can make a balloon payment at the end and then own it. But then you sometimes wonder if that balloon payment is worth considering you might have paid three or four uh, years worth of payments. So it's all I mean, it's a money making scheme for the for the money lenders. Uh, at the end of the day, that's the business that they are in. Um, and that's what they're going to do. But from a consumer's point of view, what we're looking for always is obviously the ease, the ease of making sure that the pressure isn't on the on the pocket to try and get um, uh, the payments as low as possible and all the other costs that we all have to have have got to be incorporated. So um, I think in terms of um, the longevity of the mortgages, it certainly is now the norm or, or pretty much the norm, even though um, it's probably not most advisable, but you know, it's a case of um, beggars can't be choosers. It's if you want a mortgage and you want to have a property and you want to do those things, and it means that you've got to fit it within your pocket and your means and your, your income and outgoings, expenditures, etc. Then you've got no choice but to maybe expand that over a 35, potentially 40 year period. Yeah, it's, it's it's a fact that people no longer see the contract as something that they will complete. They'll think about the fact that, OK, it'll be 40 years. And then when I actually end up retiring and I still owe some money, I'll downsize and pay back and and um, and get something smaller, I guess. Yes, I mean, if you look back again uh, at the uh, way property has risen from, from certainly, I can only relate it to my own time, um, to where it is now, then yes, of course, that's the answer, isn't it? You, you continue to um, pay, make your payments and at the end of the day, you've got a property that is now worth much more than what you paid for it. And, and if, you have, if you just took the capital value of the property, then you'll find that that um, means that you can actually either downsize or, or re refinance or yeah just sell it and move to something smaller and, and and clear off your mortgage so i think that's that's the way the plan would really work one comment in this article said that actually a lot of people have uh, extended their mortgage term to 35 or even 40 years to make it not just more affordable but to give them additional monies that they would have paid on the mortgage to pay a loan to improve the property, and that there is some sense in that, I suppose, in a way, you could uh, you could take some money, you know, save yourself two hundred and fifty pounds a month, 
and then spend that £250 a month on some on a loan to actually improve maybe a new kitchen or something to improve the value of the property. Is that advisable? I feel that's dangerous territory because um, nobody really is going to take that extra money and go and add a new kitchen. They'll probably go on holiday, uh, most people, <laughs> um, and then come back and think, oh, my God, that holiday's cost me a lot of money and I still haven't got the money for the kitchen. So uh, my suggestion probably would be that, you know, take what you need to for the property. Um, and you can always go back to the lenders and take a further advance at the time when you actually do need to do the um, alterations or the works that you choose to do. I think if you had the lump sum you know, at the beginning, you'd be like, you won the lottery sort of thing. You'd be going, yeah, chucking it away and going, right, I've got my new pad, got the keys to the front door. Um, it's been so stressful, let's book a holiday and then go and blow the rest of it away and then come back and go, oh my God, what have we done? So I, I, I think, I think, I'm not sure that that would be such a wise, wise plan, but of course, you know, not everybody is that way inclined. So it's, it is very possible that if you do buy a property that requires complete modernization or a lot of work that needs doing to it, then yes, of course, you'll take the further advance or the extra money in order to do that work. But, um, I fear that it would be probably the first part as opposed to the second part that would happen. They're saying in the article, the majority of mortgage payments increasing around 40 to 50% in the last year. It's understandable given the cost of everything else that everyone's having to afford, that people are looking to bring those monthly payments down. Um, uh, uh, and one of them says, I'm a firm believer that we have a long-term goal for our mortgage, but in the short term, we match our mortgage to our circumstances as that is constantly going to change. So I'm happy to recommend people adding five to 10 years to their term if that makes them sleep at night, which is an interesting comment. Uh, extending the mortgage from 25 to 35 years could save around £150 a month, depending on the interest rate. And that was often the easiest option for people. It said that uh, lenders allowed a maximum age of 75 in many cases so there are a lot of options available for people according to criteria brain 16 lenders do not have a maximum age at the end of their mortgage term with other lenders ranging between a maximum of 70 and 95 years which is interesting well people are living much longer aren't they so um they've got to uh, allow for that um people are also starting their adult life perhaps a little bit later than they normally would have done uh, back in back in the 1920s when i was born um, and, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's much, much different in terms of, um, uh, or what the expectations are, but yes, I mean, the extension, I mean, if you think about that, it's 150 pounds a month difference in the grand scheme, it's, it's not a great deal. On the other hand, if you had a long-term mortgage and then you decided to cut that and you could then afford the extra 150 pounds and you made the extra 150 pound payment into your mortgage you will obviously reduce the amount and reduce the term and reduce the time on, on, on the mortgage. So it's good to have that option of being able to, to um, reduce it um, as it suits you, as opposed to going back. Now, the reason why that works is this. Um, if you your circumstances change between the time you take your mortgage um, and you, your, your circumstances during that time have changed. So let's say you've taken a 35 to 40 year term and in 10, 15 years time, something drastic happens in your family. You separate, you divorce, you do all sorts of other things that happen in, in life. All of a sudden you might be thankful that you are a long term, but on the other hand, if you then sell it earlier and, and capitalize, you might be thankful that you can clear it earlier. So always 
take the longer term where possible, I suppose, because it's easier for you to reduce. The reason why I say those circumstances is when those circumstances change, if you then chose to go back to the lender and say, actually, you know, things have changed in my family and I need to extend that, your criteria, your, your um, uh, credit scoring or whatever the way they actually calculate may not allow you to extend. Um, so if you have the option of having the maximum at the beginning, you know, then you have the choice of reducing it. But if you take a, a lower one, then you don't have the choice of extending it. The lender does. And at that point, the lender may not be as perhaps giving or forgiving as he might be at the beginning of that. So it's worth thinking about circumstances. I'm not saying that we all have a crystal ball and are related to Mystic Meg and we know what the future is going to be, but it's better to have that option at the beginning so that you know you can make the decision. One mortgage broker is here saying uh, one client was due to see an increase in their monthly mortgage payment by almost £600. They decided to extend their term by 10 years and they reduced the impact uh, of that increase by 400 so it went up £200. Uh, but the overall cost of the mortgage is now significantly higher. But you've got to think about it. It sounds easy to do and it is actually, you know, think, oh yeah, no worries. We'll worry about that down the lane. But having a mortgage in your 70s can be massively detrimental to your retirement plans, can't it? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the only way that you're going to deal with that um, detrimental retirement plan is to downsize. Um, and emotion sometimes uh, doesn't allow us to do that um, for many reasons. Sometimes it's about your own pride. Sometimes it's about the comfort. Sometimes it's your circumstances. You might just turn around and say, well, actually, you know what? I'm not going to do this. Um, I can't afford to do it. And if I did, you also got to calculate all the costs that may be related in that move. Um, and sometimes it's not particularly viable to, to downsize because by the time you've actually paid off moving and paid into buying another place, you almost feel that you may as well just stay put and, and um, go through the pain rather than the potential gain. So yes, I mean, nobody wants a mortgage at the age of 70 around their neck. But uh, it's circumstances that may may not may not allow that to change. Yes, because that's something that we, we we forget when we think about moving is that the, the the actual cost of moving now with stamp duty and various other things is just so expensive, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, as I said, you just if you then spread the cost of that over over, over a given period, you know, you could you could almost add a certain amount of money to that. And you think to yourself, well, actually, why would I want to do that? Because I'm not the one that's going to gain out of this now. Yes, I'm going to gain the fact that I'll get rid of a mortgage. I may reduce my my outgoings uh, overall, but, you know, it sort of grinds against the teeth to think that you've actually now have to pay the privilege of somebody else, i.e. the taxations, um, in order to be able to have the gain of your life. So, as I said, it's personal circumstances, poor at the time, and I think, you know, a lot of morals come into it. You begin to think, well, I'm not going to allow that to happen. Why should I? And all that kind of stuff that goes on in your head. Um, in order to sort of say, you know, um, is it is it worth me downsizing and and then paying another stamp duty cost to buy again and and so forth and all the all the and above all all the stress that you're going to add to yourself in order to do that. I mean, if you weren't going to die at seventy and you're going to live a bit longer, you might just kill yourself by having the extra stress on yourself. So <laughs> you shorten your life anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 
I mean, I suppose, you know, if you are facing that situation, and I mean, that's quite a horrendous situation to see an increase of £600, and even a £200 increase, uh, increase is going to be impacting on your monthly finances for sure. But of course, the one thing that you'll always face, and the reality is, although you're lowering your monthly cost, overall, over the period of that mortgage extending means you're going to pay more interest overall. So you're going to pay a lot more in the long run, aren't you? Yes. Um, but, you know, the, the, the long run interest out of it is that there is, at the end of the day, probably not painful because you're not going to be here to, to bear the pain of that long term interest, um, you know, if, if circumstances are such. But uh, I, we take that view from the outset. I mean, ultimately, it's like everybody that buys a property, they think that in a certain time they will end up owning it. I suppose the only good thing is that you do own it in joint venture with your lender. Because until the mortgage is paid off, it is, you know, their first charge that's on there. Um, and so the, you're in partnership with your lender and the first person that's going to get paid in any circumstances is the lender. He's going to get his money back and, and whatever interest is on there. The balance is then going to be left. And of course, whatever taxations are left, you know, you've got to take that into, into account as well. Um, so ultimately the ownership is is the key whereas if you are continuing to rent for year on year out then of course you are not always going to end up with that choice that is the extra choice that you have that makes all the difference i think in, in why we want to own our property our next story today concerns uh, the uk government must learn from scotland's mistakes when it's pursuing leasehold reform so since the thumping general election win, this is by Mick Platt, a piece in um, uh, Property Industry Eye. Uh, since a thumping general election win in 2019, the Conservative government has pursued a reckless war, he says, with freeholders in a bid to phase out the majority of such properties in England. So just basically making sure everything becomes um, uh, a freehold. Uh, its strategy, which is seemingly only having been adopted to win political capital, says Mick, will remo remove professional oversight in apartment blocks uh, putting residents' safety at risk whilst increasing the number of dilapidated buildings. You only have to look at the current situation north of the border to see this firsthand. Scotland has never had an equivalent of the role of freeholder um, in relation to flats in England, instead preferring to a residential-led model akin to commonhold. And we have talked about commonhold before on the show, haven't we? Within this system, residents have control of managing individual flats and collective apartment blocks. And Looking at the way the government is viewing landlords and, uh, and tenants, you can see why they want to put the power in the hands of the people who um, have an interest in the building rather than relying on professional people to look after the building who know what they're doing. Um, but they seem to want to give the power and the control to the people who own the flats. But in reality, we've talked about this, haven't we? And I think your view may be, without wanting to put words in your mouth, but actually... You know, it's all very well them having the power to do something with the buildings, but reality is they probably won't bother. Well, you know, uh, yes, good, good story, good subject to to bring up again. And considering the amount of um, people now renting these properties, and considering the amount of blocks of flats that are being built um, all over the country in order to try and meet the, the targets for providing the residential accommodation that is required uh, in the UK. Um, there are a lot of things that um, are common sense in these and, and most of the, the government's attitude on it is um, not very good in common sense. Um, so 
First of all, um, I think it's good that everybody should have a share of the freehold. Um, I think that is an important task and it does a number of things for them. It is that when you talk about longevity, it gives them some gain at the end of it um, and not having to pay a freeholder, an independent freeholder, extra money to extend the lease when that time comes. Um, and and so a lot of people, uh, and also it means that it's difficult to finance short-term leases as well. So there's a whole bunch of things that it makes sense. My suggestion, my suggestion, and my 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 preference, should I say, would be in a in a block of flats that everybody has a share of the freehold, and a company is set up amongst themselves to manage the um, common areas. That's where the biggest problem comes: is the common areas because. Nowadays, um, a lot of people are renting, Paul, um, and the people that are renting don't actually care about, you know, the actual um, situation as yeah. far as they're concerned. It's not theirs, so why should I bother? But then there are others that are actually in the same block who do own and want to live there peacefully, and begrudge the fact that there there are people renting. So there's a lot of, in fact, there's a lot of leases now actually pre, um, prevent from people renting uh, their properties out because the the problem it causes uh, in the in in the um, short term and in the long term so if you've got a let's say a um, uncomfortable neighbor who is you know um, got three bikes and god knows whatever else and it all sits in the middle of the common area and and you know as he takes up or he takes he or she takes up there bike up and down the lift or through the stairs, you know, the whole place gets damaged and one thing to another, they don't care because they just rent it. Um, the ones that live there then start thinking, well, actually, I'm now looking at living in a bit of a hole here and I don't want to live with these neighbours. And then neighbourhood disputes start and before you know it, you've got yourself a major, major issue on your hand. And of course, when somebody comes to sell, when these things happen, they've got to make a declaration in their documentation if there's any neighborhood disputes and so forth, which then perturbs people that may be looking at buying something like that to um, consider even buying in those. There's a lot of problems that get created in those um, things. And what, what they're suggesting, and then the north of the border is common hold, is almost like saying, well, I will look after my box. In other words, the four walls that belong to me. Um, but I'm not going to be part of the communal areas and that communal area has got to be dealt with amongst everybody and let's say there's 10 people in a block out of those 10 seven may be renting three may be owning and living there the ones that are renting don't really give a monkey their landlords probably don't even have even probably visited the block since they owned it um, and that's where never the twain shall meet that's where the problem starts to rise um, and makes it difficult and I think when they look at um, share ownership, in other words, a share of the freehold, uh, not share ownership, a share of the freehold, I think that then at least makes the um, scales a little bit more balanced so that people are involved in maybe the common areas. The owners of those flats are involved in the common areas and they can actually pass that responsibility onto the tenants that they take on and say, look, you know, if, if these things are damaged and, 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 and you've created a problem, then it would probably come out of your deposit or, or, or take a higher deposit and so forth. So I think there's a little bit more sense in that because people are going to continue to rent and they want to rent because they can't afford to buy.
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Mick says that actually it does make sense for that sort of common hold arrangement um, to be in place in smaller developments. And, and indeed, my own, own late brother had uh, a, a property in London, as you know, uh, a ground floor flat and two uh, other flats above. Um, and they bought the freehold some years back from the lady that used to own it. And of course, they then set up a small limited company. And, and out of that, they all paid in, I think, £75 a month. At the end of the year, they all made a decision, the three of them together, um, what they would spend the money on. And that would either be the roof or the, uh, the exterior walls or indeed the stairway that was the common area between them. And they would decorate them in a rotational way. Um, and it seemed to work very well. And actually, both of the top, uh, sorry, the middle flat was actually rented out, but it was the responsibility of the owner to pay the £75 a month. So the tenant never got involved in paying that. And I would imagine they factored that into the cost of their rent. So it can actually work, I guess, in that situation. But the reality is, as you say, when you get 10, 15, 20, it can become unwieldy. Who's going to pay it? Some people are not that bothered. And actually, recently, I went and stayed at an Airbnb in Richmond, um, and the flat that we stayed in was absolutely stunning. But the entrance downstairs, because it was a second floor, the entrance area was appalling. It was um, it just smelt of damp. The walls were running water. It was appalling. And yet you thought when you walked in, you thought, my God, what on earth is this place going to be like? And then you get in the flat, and it was beautiful. Yeah, well, that takes you to to my my holy hearted comment about first impressions. Um, um, of, of everything, and in, in your first ten seconds, you thought, "Oh my God, what, what, what do I, I let myself yeah. into?" Um, and and so that makes a, a huge difference in terms of presentation. But you're right um, in both aspects. When, when from your late brother's point of view, which is a great exercise and a, and a learning curve, that you know where things can work, they can work really, really well. And and being a sharer of the freeholder meant that made life negotiating, servicing, managing a lot easier because there's three people in that um, sort of block of three and all were fairly um, common sense people that they actually created this company and dealt with it on a rotation basis of the exterior, interior and the mm. roof. Um, and and that, would, that would be the right way in my mind to deal with whether it's a large scale property or a small scale property. The problem with a large scale property is is who manages it. Well, there are companies that deal with these situations. They are set up for management of blocks and things and they can manage that you pay them to manage it because obviously everybody else is busy to do that. Um, and they can help with maintenance and they can help with the outside and the inside and all that sort of stuff that, that goes on. It's only when somebody has a uh, freehold and of course they end up having the long term over it and then when the lease is now coming to a, a shorter period the freeholder kind of holds a gun to your head and say well actually this is what it's going to cost you to renew and 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 because of that people either sell uh, earlier sell um, uh, at a lower lower level and the new people then have to come in and buy I have to bring in a little point here which people probably don't and I was always aware, and we, we have to sort of kind of remind ourselves on that, and that is that when you're buying or selling a leasehold property, um, if you are selling a, a short-term leasehold property and somebody buys it, they, and, and you haven't actually notified the landlord that A, you're selling, and B, you know, you're thinking about renewing the lease, the new buyer would have to hold that property for a minimum, I think, two years now before they can apply to buy the, the or extend the lease. 
So they would have to purchase that cash. And I would strongly recommend that you take advice um, before you actually uh, look at that um, and serve the appropriate notices and deal with it in the correct manner. Because the last thing you want to do is end up buying something, buying something cash, and then find that you can't nothing, to, can't do anything with that for the next two years. Um, and I've come across that quite quite regularly recently, where people have thought about doing that, buying your cash, and then find that they actually can't refinance it. So their money is then stuck for a period of two years. God knows why they put two years on, on this thing, because at the end of the day, what difference does it make to anybody? But that is a rule that exists. So do do take advice and guidance on that. He says that Roman law sums it up very nicely. And the phrase is communio est mater rixarum, which translates as uh, co-ownership is the mother of all disputes. <laughs> it, it, the, uh, the issues that uh, we're talking about here and, and the lack of maintenance culture have all been um, seen in Scotland, he says. Uh, basically, since they've had this um, common hold approach, it's suggested that uh, up to 80% of Scotland's apartments need some form of repair, with 50% of them in critical disrepair. So basically, you know, people haven't been taking up their responsibilities, and he's suggesting that if we continue with the similar uh, reform of leasehold in this country, um, in the UK, in, in England rather, should I say, that we're going to end up in the similar situation. So I guess we'll have to wait and see on that one. Well, I'm sure Mr. Gove will have something to add to that because um, he comes up with these crazy um, ideas um, of, of how it is. And recently, I know everybody's on his case and saying, like, you know, get off the homeowners. Um, because I, mean, I think there's even a petition going around saying, can you just leave leave landlords alone? Because you just keep, seem to be picking on them. And this is a scenario where, you know, um, anyone that's buying a property, especially if it's a leasehold property, especially if it's part of a block, you need to make sure that uh, it's the right uh, way to do it. Um, you know, freehold um, as, as, as a share of the freehold and a long lease is probably really the right way of, of owning a property going forward uh, especially in bigger blocks um, because you know you could end up with a lot of hassle that you don't particularly want and especially if we're going to rent a good percentage of those to tenants and whilst every tenant on paper will look fantastic what you don't know is how they live and you don't won't know that until you've actually got them in there and they're in the front door and so forth and all of a sudden you think, oh my God, you know, this is not how it's going to be. And the neighbours start to complain. And as a landlord, you're just going to get harassed and hassled by all the other neighbours saying that the tenant that you put in there is now not. Then, of course, there's another legal battle to get the tenant out. You've got to give them a certain amount of notice. And going forward, if they successfully abolish the Section 21 notice, which they're obviously going to back on trying, you've got to have loads of arbitration, loads of conversation, loads of documentation to prove why this person is so it could be a real long haul of, a, of a, a system before you even get that tenant out so you know i think um it's very very important that the type of property that you buy um and the way it is bought the mechanism it is bought is is a mechanism that allows you to um deal with it in the correct fashion 
One of the things I love about the property industry is the fact there are so many monthly surveys and index that we can we can search and look for. <laughs> and you I mean, love, we have our, you love, you love oh, absolutely. I mean, we have our Zoopla monthly uh, index, house price index. And I, I discovered another one the other day, which I thought was quite interesting. It's the uh, on the market property sentiment index, Joe. So, yeah. And this is basically an interesting one. I think they come up with different names just to differentiate themselves. (laughs) Absolutely. 74% of active buyers in November remained confident that they would purchase a property in the next three months, which is interesting. Uh, uh, The figure is consistent with October's data. However, when it comes to seller confidence, the index revealed a noticeable dip. 63% of sellers were confident that they would sell their home within the next three months in November, compared with 82% the previous month. So people... I suppose this is reflecting the change to a buyer's market, isn't it, at the end of the day? People are a lot confident they're going to sell within the next three months uh, than they were the month before. On a regional basis, every area saw a drop in seller confidence with the largest fall in the southeast, 58% in November compared with 83% in October. However, over a six-month period, 27% were confident that they would sell their property in the next six months, which was actually more confident than they were in October. So I guess people are um, now resigned to the fact that actually it's going to take them a little bit longer because the market isn't quite so buoyant. Well, the interesting thing about this particular sentimental um, uh, survey is that it's done at a time that if you actually put the clock, so uh, just to put it in a bit of a, a perspective, you start January to December. I mean, first of all, this period that we are in, i.e. December, January, leading up to February, this last couple of months, is probably notoriously um, the worst possible months to try and think about moving, selling, and doing all because so many other priorities take place. Um, we now have to, in my opinion, we have to do um, enough sales, enough business in six months to cover 12 months because if you actually then break down the rest of the year, uh, combined with bank holidays, school holidays, summer holidays, and any other holidays that actually exist, um, and then when the king gets, you know, uh, his coronation, another holiday, the queen died, she had another holiday, everybody has a holiday about a holiday, holiday over a holiday, and actually six months of the year is probably full of holidays, and then in six months remaining, you've got to try and uh, make the move um, and, and deal with it. So I think these sentimental uh, surveys actually are probably conducted at the wrong time um, in the first place. Secondly, when you look at them, yes, given the circumstances of the uh, cost of living, interest rate rises and so forth, there is very little chance at this precise moment in time that anyone is going to be selling unless, of course, it is priced to sell given their personal circumstances. Anyone that is not facing any issues in their circumstances will sit back and wait until such times as that is um, thawed out as opposed to, you know, heating the market, doing whatever they so that people can start to say, well, maybe in February, March, I will start to think about the spring. And given the time of that, we always had spring market was the, the best market for the properties to start to come onto the market and to sell. Um, and then, of course, summer would slow down because July, August and early September, it would die. So that's what I'm saying. If you look at the actual calendar, you would end up saying that it's really only six months of the year that you have saleability um, in a, what well, I would say, a domestic market. In other words, things 
um, that you've got to move. For example, kids schooling, um, outgrowing a property, uh, downsizing, all of those scenarios are given in a certain pattern. The ones that are happening throughout the year are your investments, your opportunities, your, your first-time buyers. They should never, ever stop looking and buying. Every time is a good time. Um, it's just about whether you can get your funds and move. So those there are certain people that just must and continue to move. And there are certain people that move because them to move or they need to move and those are the things that you've got to balance and I think when they do these surveys they sometimes take into consideration some forms and not others even though they'll say they take everybody into form and, and chuck them into the same pot but ultimately people that are moving at this time of the year for example you know a week before Christmas coming into January will be your first time buyers because they will make conscious decisions and say you know what this is my best time to buy I'm gonna buy it's a buyers market I must go out and buy hence so the next three months people will say you know this is a great time for me to buy I will buy investors will look at it and go this is a great time for us to invest in because you know there has been a stop in the increase of, of, of values people are a bit more realistic in what they want to achieve for them so this is a good time for me to invest a good time for me to buy and then there are those people that need to buy but the ones that don't need to buy and don't need to move for any of the above reasons will say, well, actually, I'll think about it in spring. I'll think about it when the circumstances are right for me. And then that is your ordinary mover, a man with a family, perhaps, kids going to a different school, job moves, and all those other uh, bits that come into the equation um, that we'll look at it. So right now, it is definitely a buyer's market. Um, notoriously because of the time of the year and this time of the year is, is a good buyer's market every year Paul it's not just this year it's like this every year because there are things that have to happen and people make their decision based on perhaps you know they might have a partner they might decide to move to another country all sorts of things that come into the into the game that allows them to say well actually I want to shift and move on uh, sooner and rather than wait for another six months for this to happen. It's interesting, the data says that 42% of properties were still sold subject to contract within 30 days of first being listed in November. And that's that 42% is this year. Last year, the same figure in the same month was 53%. So it's definitely a, a rebalancing going on at the moment. And it's hardly surprising really with uh, the mini budget effects and so on and seasonal factors that you just mentioned. Um, uh, consumers are a little bit less confident in the short term but of course as you rightly say there are people that will have to move job changes that kind of thing first-time buyers who finally got the opportunity that they want so there's always going to be activity going on but it's it's more about a rebalancing they're suggesting at the moment well yeah absolutely there's a correction in the marketplace um, we're probably falling into neutral if you're using my terminologies for the time being, before we start going into drive, it will go into drive. Um, the dreaded mini budget um, is probably the tsunami that happened in the circumstances that we are all in right now. Uh, thanks to Lady Liz Trust, no doubt she'll probably get a knighthood for actually buggering it up. Um, and um, you know, so when you when you look at all of those scenarios, um, yes, I think um, you know we are on a on a correction, but it won't be too long <laughs> you're laughing about my knighthood it won't be too long <laughs> before um before you know we're back in the drive again where people will say you know what enough is enough I, I need to move i need to get on with this i've got the savings i've got the opportunity i've got a new job that allows me to 
borrow the amount of money that I need to borrow and, and move forward. And of course, that magical thing about home ownership doesn't go away, Paul. It does not go away. It won't go away uh, because we are of a mindset that, you know, even though we've got to stretch ourselves and take a bigger mortgage and over a longer period, we still want to, where possible, own our own home. And of course, it stresses the importance of having a good, experienced agent to help you with the sale of the property because actually if you get the pricing right, you're likely to move a lot quicker than if you sit there hanging on for what is unrealistic. I think in terms of the agent side of thing, of course, you know, every generation is going to evolve. There's a lot of younger people in there and each comes with an experience um, that is perhaps not as long as people like me who've been around for a long, long time. So, um, uh, you know, been through, I think now three recessions, potentially four, <laughs> um, seen the ups and downs of, of all the marketplace, know the know it warts and all, and that's why I do this with you every Sunday morning. It's about sharing my experience and knowledge and longevity in the business uh, for those that are interested in, in knowing about it, those that are not and know it all, then that's fine. But from our point of view, um, this is why we do Property Matters, because it is about sharing the experience and the knowledge that, you know, uh, I've certainly gained in, in the 40 plus years. And those that are involved around us have that experience, even even from your point of view, you just share the situation that happened within yours. And that's all about experiences, it's all about knowledge that we can share. And that's the, the beauty about this, this business, that there is so much experience. But getting yourself a good agent, good guidance, good advice, you know, good legal advice is very, very important. Um, and if Bob was here, of course, he will turn around and say that it will be good mortgage advice as well. And without the mortgage and the money, there is no deal. So, you know, it is very important to bring on the right people. Indeed it is. And uh, that brings us to the end uh, of this week's Property Matters, which uh, reminds me, we've got seven days until the big day. And that means we have a show on Christmas Day, which is going to be an interesting one. So um, looking forward to that. So if you really have nothing better to do on Christmas Day, please join us for Property Matters, 10am as usual. We'll see you then. Music